You're listening to Real Crime, the Movie Sleuth Podcast. All right, first off, Liam, only I may dance to the theme oh, music. Oh, okay, yeah. So. I gotta check my privilege, I get it. No. <laughs> I just hope somebody catches at the Simpsons quote, but... Yeah, of course. <laughs> So, you cannot dance if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> so as you guys can see, uh, Chris has been replaced just mm-hmm. this episode, though. He'll be back next week. It's true. Possibly. He is the, just standing in front of the live stream, him, though. It's true. Yeah. He tragically uh, injured himself. Yes. Uh, yeah. He pulled his groin doing squats. Yeah, he was trying to, trying to. well, you know, we're going to keep it on the down low. Trying to get what he that booty popping for the sum- end of summer. You for, know? He wants that summer bod and... Well. <laughs> but no, he'll he'll be back next week, yeah. and and he's still running stuff behind the scenes over there. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm gonna host it, and I might suck because I've only ever done one other one. And uh, so we have uh, Liam, hi, Mara, hello, Chris, hey, and uh, this is episode 122. And uh, this episode, we're gonna be discussing Quentin Tarantino's ninth film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's true. There's and gonna be a lot of feet. Yeah. We're actually going to be barefoot yeah, for the entire podcast. See, We're going to take our shoes off later. The camera's in the perfect position because I can have <laughs> it on the whole time. I'm wearing flip-flops. I can easily just yeah. kick mine off. <laughs> I have to get my feet super dirty. We should have did it yeah. barefoot. That would have been funny, though. I wish I knew about it before we started. I mean, it's not too late. It's not too late. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, first off, we're going to you know, give a shout-out to our sponsors, which is projectorscreen.com. Um, Matador Martial Arts and the Flint Institute of Arts. Those are our three sponsors, and thanks for sponsoring us. We appreciate your support. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now we're going to shift over to the news. And uh, the first piece we have is the release of Dune has been pushed back a month, uh, most likely to avoid competing with other big-budget, big-name films coming out. Well, it's also the Star Wars slot and Aquaman, which was a performer for Warner Brothers, did really well. It made a billion. And they're looking at Dune with uh, franchise potential. Like, they already greenlit a series that's the sisterhood of Dune that's going to be on the HBO streaming thing, I think. Yeah, and they've said for sure that they are making the second half Mm -hmm. of the first novel. So it's it's a a strategic... I mean, if we're going to have a franchise, I totally want it to be Dune, because there's so mm-hmm. much good Dune material. There's also bad Dune material, but they won't get to the yeah. bad stuff till later <laughs> if this pans out, so... Yeah. But... I yeah. mean, part of me is still concerned that they are really banking on mainstream audiences being real into a, like, super <laughs> in-depth story about yeah. trade disputes and... The mixing of religion and politics and all this like pretty non-blockbustery stuff. You mean like mm. how they were into Black, uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine? Yeah, really like that. That's exactly what concerns me. <laughs> was, I mean, uh, there, there's there's more potential to do blockbustery stuff yeah. with Dune because there are fights and sandworms yeah. and stuff. Yeah. But like at its core, that is mm-hmm. that first book is very much about yeah. trade trade disputes yeah. and religion. So yeah. I'm I think it's more audience friendly. Yeah. I'm I'm really really excited for it, but yeah. I just feel like okay. Is the average movie-going public yeah. as geeky and patient Let's as hope I am? So. <laughs> um, yeah. Next piece of news is Event Horizon series is in development for Amazon streaming. Uh, it's going to be helmed by Adam Wingard. What do you guys think of that? I think it'll be cool. Event Horizon is one of those movies that's like close to being like great. 
for me and then there's just kind of stuff where i'm like so maybe this show will like expand on it and do yeah. something more with it yeah and i like adam wingard uh i wasn't crazy about his death note but you're next in the guest rule so i'm i'm down for whatever he does yeah i'm i'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt that with death note he was just like it was a case of the wrong director being picked for that Very project wrong. i mean everybody has that one misstep <laughs> yeah i mean speaking of dune <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, David. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. Mm. And also, like I wrote about this on Facebook, how like several years ago, like a year after the Blu-ray of Event Horizon came out, uh, Paul W. S. Anderson said he found his work print of his fabled mythical director's cut. But Paramount said no, we just did a Blu-ray. We're not interested in restoring that and doing another one. So I'm hoping that this will yeah. light a fire Ignite under either Paramount leverage. or Paramount's finally started licensing to Scream Factory. I was going to say, mm. that sounds like a Scream Factory super l- yeah. deluxe edition. Oh, yeah. That's right in their territory. Yeah. I mean, it would be very much, it would be the same kind of deal as their uh, Exorcist 3 director's cut because yeah. yeah. that only exists on VHS. So it would be another HD VHS combo, mm. but... He says that it's a much better cut of the movie with a lot more story and whatnot and is also just gory as hell, apparently. Yeah. So that would be that would be fun to see if the All series right. brought that forth. Uh, let's see. Next, we got Hobbs and Shaw comes in at number one, but it grossed lower than expected. I didn't see that because, honestly, I, I, yeah. I've seen, like, three Fast and Furious movies and I thought they were all stupid. Yeah. And then they just look like they get more stupid yeah yeah that's the charm though for <laughs> yeah me. If you're i like hammered stupid and, stuff yeah they're they're know. very i don't know it's not the same without vin diesel going family it's about family <laughs> that's that's the charm <laughs> that's the charm of it like i don't like what the rock and jason statham they seem like fun dudes yeah. but uh, i'm like eh. Did you see, like, on the internet, they were somebody was spilling the beans that they all have these clauses in their contracts to where they can't lose a certain amount of fights and stuff? That's so silly to me. That's yeah. so ridiculous. Part of the fun of watching an action movie is you see the hero get his ass, his yeah. or her ass kicked. And then, then in the third act, it's like, oh, yeah, it's triumphant. It'd be like if Rocky just won every fight. Yeah. I mean, it's not a movie. Well, yeah. But is it that they can't lose any, or that they can only lose X number? Of they fights? can only lose X numbers, or be one. One of them had something like they can only be punched this many times in a movie, yeah. and like they can only lose one movie, <laughs> and then the other one they have to. I was like, what? It's so specific. It That's, was really specific. It's like really you cannot weird. punch me in the groin. <laughs> no takesies, backsies. All right, and the last one we have is Andy Circus. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Andy Circus. Yeah. Andy Circus will direct Venom 2. Is it really called Venom 2 Electric Boogaloo? Or it's, did you just type that on there? It, no, that's the title. Venom <laughs> <laughs> 2 Electric Boogaloo. I was hoping that's amazing. for real. Venom has to help rebuild the youth center. <laughs> oh, my God. There's you know, a dance I, off between I bought him and Venom for like $4 maybe a couple weeks ago, and I still haven't watched it yet. It's but pretty I feel like it's going to be worth $4. It's, yeah. uh, it's fun because Tom Hardy kind of channels Jim Carrey. That sounds that weird as hell. <laughs> it's as weird. He's like the only person in that movie who is like fully committed to being in a Venom movie. And everyone else is like trying to be like yeah. really serious and up the material. Well, didn't they it's, say like he played it like they thought there was going to be like kind of like a buddy comedy thing yeah. and then they just cut all the stuff out that made it that way yeah or it's kind of like upgrade 
but not good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like upgrade. It's got- that should go on the cover. <laughs> kind of like upgrade, but not good. The movie right. sleuth. So let's see what we got next. Oh, new mm. releases. Yeah, I'm reading off the thing. Anybody yeah, that's mad about it can be stay mad. Yeah. Uh, Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which Chris reviewed, and he said it was good. Uh, scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I believe Andrea is going to be reviewing that. Wasn't the screening tonight? Yeah. Tomorrow night? Tomorrow. All right. Um, Brian Banks was a movie I never heard of till like right before this podcast started. Yeah. That's coming out. I don't know who's reviewing that. Somebody, I'm sure. And uh, that brings us to everyone's suggested viewings. We'll start oh. with you, Liam. And we'll oh, yeah. All right. Um, this week I is it I was dust in this, devil? It, <laughs> I was so close <laughs> to say dust devil just to throw everyone for a loop. Um, no, I was gonna say because I was in a Tarantino mood. I I, uh, I finally got around to watching Jackie Brown. Is everyone oh, for the first time? Oh, yeah. For the first time because wow. everyone's like, you gotta watch it. And I'm like, all right, I'll watch it. I'll watch so it. Good. And it's it's wonderful. Yeah. I loved it. I love Pam Greer. I love uh, Robert Forrester, and it, and Robert De Niro was great in it. I, f- I wish he did more Tarantino stuff. Right, I, I feel know. like yeah. he would be really <clears throat> perfect, like Putty in Tarantino's hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. If you haven't seen it, or if you need to rewatch it, you should watch it. It's a very wonderful film and very mature for Tarantino. I would say yeah. it's like kind of closest to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. like kind of like pacing. Yeah, yeah it's ki- it's kind of a hangout movie. Yeah, both of them are hangout films. I wanted to uh, go back and watch Jackie Brown actually right after we we watched uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It it made me think of it mm-hmm. in that yeah. way. Yeah, so uh, watch Jackie Brown. Yes. Okay, yeah. Cool. Maya. Okay. Um, I just recently got Amazon Prime again. I haven't had it in a while, and I just got it and. I'm just discovering all these these weird little gems and pockets in Amazon mm. Prime, and I realized the other night that Unsolved Mysteries is on Prime, oh, and nice. I've been like obsessively watching it. Like I cannot stop. I love it. That used to be the jam when I was a kid, yeah. though, because it was just always on no matter yeah. what time of the day it was. There was like a rerun of it on somewhere. I loved it as a kid too, and I just I don't know forgot about it for years and just started watching it and i'm like back in it and they'd have the updates now so at the if if the pretty much if the mystery solved they tell you the guy's you know in jail or he died or whatever and so that's pretty exciting yeah dude amazon prime is amazing for obscure stuff yeah tv shows they have a lot of really good b horror yes they do they do do. like a very robust like i watch amazon prime way more than i watch netflix Mm -hmm. like they be Mm -hmm. out netflix in my opinion if you like weird movies or a lot they have a lot of asian old asian films on there too yeah Mm -hmm. and not and and most of the time it's actually a pretty okay like transfer like sometimes it's like a vhs transfer you can tell but most time they get it looks pretty good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Amazon Prime's great, and just as a little added in recommendation, uh, rec- suggested viewing that I watched actually probably years ago on Amazon Prime, but I don't know if it's still on there. I hope it is. It's a reenactment of a recording of a dinner party between Mae West and um, Betty Davis by one of their like butlers at the time or houseboys or whatever, and. It's pretty amazing. And that's just like huh. such a random thing. Yeah. And then yeah. Amazon Prime has it. Yeah. They just have it. <laughs> and that's yeah. why I like Prime. Yeah. Because of that. That's 
really interesting. If you just like search, I think like Mae West, I think that's what happened. I searched her or Betty Davis looking for either one of their movies, and I was okay. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't find any movie I wanted to watch, but I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised by that. Well, awesome, cool. Yeah, Chris, what's what's your recommendation for this evening? Uh, mine. I'm doing my NPR voice. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Car Talk on NPR. <clears throat> uh, my recommendation, even though Michelle spoiled it, even though we don't do that here, uh, yeah, is, this is uh, spoil free. I mean, well, t- tonight's now. We're going to yeah. spoil the hell out of this Tarantino movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my recommendation is Dust Devil, which I had meant to see for years and then finally just watched now that it got a Blu-ray in Germany. That Yeah, it's... Uh, the second film by Richard Stanley, the director of Hardware. It's from 1992. Uh, one of those many famous cases that got horribly, horribly meddled with and re-edited by Miramax because they distributed it in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, the director's cut is out on blue in Germany now. It's really, really good. This like really moody, ethereal, very strange, surreal kind of dreamscape horror movie about sort of a serial killer in small desert communities in Namibia who is actually the incarnation of this like sort of desert spirit and it's really cool and he's said in interviews that it's very much like sort of a cocktail of influences of like Alejandro Jodorowsky and spaghetti westerns and Lovecraft and it's just like a mix of very very cool stuff. And it's one that I would highly recommend that That sounds check awesome. Out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not surprised it was Miramax that butchered it. Yeah. Because they yep. butcher everything. Harvey Scissorhands. Yeah. Yep. They cut it by like 20 minutes. Jeez. Yeah. And we're still feeling the repercussions yeah. of Miramax meddling oh, yeah. with stuff because they own yeah. rights to stuff still. And oh, yeah. Then... Well, like, that's why if you're region free, get this German Blu-ray because it is like, it is never going to come out in the U.S., because yeah. yeah, Lionsgate owns the Miramax library. Yeah. Lionsgate does not license because they nope. are also terrible. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Miramax, I have a non-recommendation. Yesterday <laughs> night, I finally watched Phantoms because I was real curious <laughs> if it was as bad as its reputation suggests, and or if Affleck actually is the bomb in Phantoms. Yeah, the movie's bad. No, it's real, <laughs> I've never real seen bad. It. Um. You can tell it was shot to be much longer. Because, like, what you hear of the script is fine. It's based on a novel that's pretty good. It's just, like, horribly paced to the point of being incoherent. And it just, like, cuts to a creepy thing that there should be a build-up to. There's Mm. no understanding of pacing. It's also by the director of Halloween 6. Everybody's Everybody's second least favorite Halloween. Uh... (laughs) But yeah, don't don't actually watch Phantoms. Ben Affleck, however, was not bad. He Wouldn't just say he was the bomb in Phantoms. In the bad stuff, I he's, feel like well, I, I feel for uh, young Batfleck. Yeah, I mean he's he's also he's way too young for this character. He's playing like a cheap hopper kind yeah. of like yeah. old like thirty like late thirty something early forty something cop who's been through some shit and he's chasing Amy era Ben Affleck. Yeah. He yeah, he's like I'm a quap. <laughs> yeah, so don't pro- probably don't watch probably don't watch On the of this town. <laughs> All right, well, mine I actually just watched mine today. It's a an old Hong Kong uh horror comedy hybrid called Mr. Vampire. Um, nice. I love 
these wacky 80s like this is a this is like a whole subgenre of movies is wacky 1980s Hong Kong like horror comedy blends they make so many of these like Mr. Vampire there's like five or six of them I think in the series hmm. but uh I've been on going on Diablo Lake DVD and they have like they've been uh listing all these Hong Kong imports and I'm like oh I can finally get these on Blu-ray nice. you know because they're because yeah. um Fortune stars, as a lot of people know, like a lot of their stuff's out of print, and like you, you know, a DVD will be like a hundred bucks for like yeah. some old Hong Kong movie or something. So it's a lot easier just to import region-free Hong Kong Blu-rays, which is what I've been doing. But it's great. It's just like uh, I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with the Chinese hopping vampire. Like uh, absolutely, yeah. They just uh, <laughs> dude this is the funniest thing. Like they're vampires. They dress like in the in traditional Chinese garb, and they have white faces, and they hop like with their arms out like this. They hop like this, and that's how they. That's the only way they move is by hopping. <laughs> and it, they, they got rigor mortis. <laughs> yeah, they're dead. it's supposed to be. I don't know if it's supposed to be scary, but it's not. It's like adorable. <laughs> like, and this movie has like you know seven or eight of them at a time, and they're just all hopping, coming after everybody. Oh, and they uh. That you can smell your breath, and that's how they find you. So a lot of times, the characters are like, <gasps> you know, holding their breath, trying mm-hmm. to like get out of the way. Of the and they have a weapon where they like blow their breath into this big long tube, so it sends their breath across the room. So like the vampires will <laughs> hop over there. Dude, it's the silliest show I've ever seen in my life. It's so hilariously done. And on top of it, like there's like these awesome practical effects because it's the '80s, so that's what they <clears> use. And um, like, uh, I can't remember the director off the top of my head, but he uh, works with Jackie Chan a lot. And, like, the the actual, like, stunts and kung fu stuff is amazing in it. So, like, they're kung fu fighting hopping vampires, but it's, like, amazing. They're, like, doing backflips and running up the wall and stuff and, like, doing, like, that, like, you know, wire work. And they're absolutely fun. So, like, if you are, if you are looking for a new genre of things to get into, 1980s Hong Kong horror hybrids and like look into hopping vampires are hilarious really that sounds really yeah. fun yeah, yeah it, it was really that sounds fun like my jam yeah that was one that uh thomas video had on vhs and i always kind of meant to check it out yeah and it's one that i've always i've regretted not uh not buying it when they close i've wanted to see it for like decades and you might want to look on amazon prime it might be on there oh, they nice. have a lot of weird yeah. old asian films on there I, i'm surprised honestly by how robust their selection is for old hong kong films that's cool yeah, i'm trying to look up who directed that but uh, the internet oh ricky lao yes ricky directed lao. that yeah and he's like a, a protege or like a partner type of thing with jackie chan so you could, you see a lot of like he's really good with the physical humor in oh, it as cool. well there's a lot of like slapstick stuff yeah. and there's also like magic wizard fights and shit in it like black magic like uh you know the main guy is like uh, a priest basically and, and he can like con- and he controls the the hopping vampires with a bell. He rings the bell, and then they come hopping, and then he, you know, points where he wants them to go. This dude's fucking. Huh. It's funny. <laughs> um, all right, so we are at our topic, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which has been a divisive movie. Yeah. Oddly, in my opinion, because you know I saw it a little early, like just a couple of days early at a, at a screening, and I was like, oh yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Hmm. And then like a week later, everybody's like. You know, Quentin Tarantino is like Hitler, basically. And I'm just like, whoa, do we all see the same film? Like, what the heck, man? (laughs) Like, they were just absolutely just dragging this dude, like, through the mud. I just want to say I'm so grateful that there's a movie that has, like, generated that kind of discussion that's not, like, a big comic book movie or something like that. It's really refreshing 
to Good see point. people like talking about this and and like going to see it like i've went to the last couple shows i've gone i've seen it like twice two or three times now um because i have a problem i can't stop watching this movie um but it's been nearly sold out so it's nice to have a cultural dialogue even if some of it has is kind of bonkers you know and i and i was just thinking like uh, you know quentin tarantino and controversy is not new because mm-hmm. no. I, I remember back in the 90s when pulp fiction came out mm-hmm. and there was all those parental groups that were against it and there's like that i'm shutting your butt down interview <laughs> I, I love that interview mm-hmm. I, know. So much. I think about yeah. that all the time yeah <laughs> I, love, I, love, I love watching tarantino get interviewed because it was crazy and shit. it was more because <laughs> the violence i think that people were offended mm-hmm. back then because i think well language i know was a yeah. big thing too yeah, yeah. So, I mean, this isn't new. I guess it's just more intense now because of the internet. Well, I think it's in the climate. Everyone now, like, there's wider access, so we get to hear, like, different voices and different takes on it. That, like, in the 90s, you probably just didn't hear a lot. Which is a good thing, by the way. It's a good thing that the critique uh, is more diverse. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So I don't want anybody to think that we're against that. No. Yeah. And I also think that people are a lot more sensitive to different ideologies and movies than we mm-hmm. were, you know, 20, 30 years ago, too. And I mean, every things people say, I think, are valid. It's just, yeah, you know. I just feel like some of the criticism, not all of it, but some of it is a little myopic, in my opinion. Like I saw a Times article today where they counted everybody's dialogue and and too. they were like women had less lines and i'm just i just feel like that's like ignoring the forest for the trees like mm-hmm. it, you're ignoring the context of the lines and the context of the character and i just feel like if you just boil everything down to like this mathematical equation yeah. like like show every script gonna have to have the an equal amount of lines by every character and it has to be 100 balanced like you're Th- thanos or something right like yeah. you know a script like it just seems just uh, i don't know it just movies seems like a, a ridiculous way to quantify whether a movie is good or not movies aren't yeah. like math they're I, I they're can't. art yeah. you right. have to like you respond to things there isn't mm-hmm. like a like people say oh there's a formula to writing movies there isn't it's it's designed to provoke and and make you feel things and think mm-hmm. about things it's not just Oh well, uh, we have a, a woman and another woman, and uh, they have to say about forty-two lines to each other, uh, and we got to make sure they're a diverse group of people. It's no, it's movies are about story. I mean, that's or not about how you feel. I understand wanting more diversity, and I'm one hundred percent for that. Mm-hmm. And I and I love having strong female characters and and well-written, well-rounded characters of agency, female characters as what I'm talking about specifically. But I Absolutely. feel like it has to be or- more organic than you just going in. Because if, if a director's going into a movie mm. thinking, I have to write this many lines for a female character, that doesn't that's not organic creation. It just stifles no. creativity. Yeah. yeah. And there's also, like, artistic context to Sharon Tate's character that like yeah she does not talk for her first much of being in that movie but there is kind of like a thematic reason There's for a that and yeah like i i liked what they did with her character that i'm sure we'll get into more yeah, later but i thought I, like it paid off really well I have in a her lot one of really, really great scene in good the middle. points i really like <clears throat> what they did with sharon in this 
this. That is like probably one of my favorite aspects of it. And you know, to, to just say something about the the uh, New York Times article, I mean, you can take a movie and ner- and boil it down to how many lines a female character has. It doesn't mean that it's actually a positive portrayal or not. Exactly, mm-hmm. it yeah. doesn't. It and I think there's a lot more. Mm. To acting than just dialogue, exactly, yeah, and a lot more to, to storytelling too. Yeah, so it's I don't know. It's a really it's a it's a it's a thing to kind of say to drum up I think an argument and a discussion. But I don't really think it's in my opinion. I don't think it's really like a valid way to, to say that the movie is unfair to women, mm-hmm. right? Especially, I mean, I don't know. I went. The only before the movie came out, really, the only thing I remember being controversial was Sharon Tate had not a lot of lines I heard, and uh, the whole Quentin Tarantino "I I reject your hypothesis" thing. Yeah, Mm -hmm. which for one thing, like Quentin Tarantino, any interview I've ever seen in him, and he's always really hyped up in it, and he's like already, and he's pretty defensive, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, He's already on the defense. That's just the kind of the way he is Mm -hmm. in interviews. So I was like zero percent surprised. That's what he said. I was like, oh, that's a Quentin Tarantino interview. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm shocked that people were like, I can't believe he said that. I'm I'm like, like, he literally told the guy to like. I'm shutting your butt down. Make no mistake. This is promotion for my movie. Yeah. Like, I can yeah. totally just see him going, I reject your hypothesis. Yeah, that's just how he is. Well, you that's know, how I, I don't think he has to answer. I don't think artists ever have to answer mm. for what they do. And yeah. I mean, he, I, I forgot the actual question that he was asked. Like, how could you poorly use a an actress or something like that what it was something like that yeah. Which, it was why did you waste her or something like that. It. Yeah, yeah and it's kind of like sucky of that interviewer personally because it's kind of like making him agree like he's making him agree that like mm-hmm. he messed up his movie yeah. and he's like no well it's a loaded question yeah. either way because then yeah. if he says yeah maybe i could have you got him to admit that he <sighs> fucked up exactly on his movie. Yeah. exactly and that like what is like, what do you think they're going to say if you ask someone like that, that yeah. question? In that and a lot of people were pre-mad about the movie before even seeing it, which I see yeah. quite a bit. I'll see people sharing yeah. negative articles about a movie they haven't seen. Mm-hmm. And I also have people argue with me about my opinion on a movie I have seen and they haven't, yeah. which that's... is like one of my favorite things ever because it's yeah. stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Like yeah, they're like, well, you're wrong because of this article, and I'm like, you haven't even seen it. I like actually legit saw the movie. Yeah, you know? people pre-making up their mind that a movie is going to be terrible before yeah. it's out is a really frustrating. Yeah. Thing. yeah, and the sad thing is, it's all just opinion anyway. It's, yeah, so like you're as nobody's opinion is any more important than anybody else's right. opinion. Absolutely. So except mine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about the actual movie. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? The first thing I want to talk about is I want to talk about the feeling. Um, this is kind of a different movie than what Quentin Tarantino has done. The last couple movies he's done have been, you know, like wide spanning westerns and uh, chamber pieces. Mm-hmm. This movie's kind of a hangout film. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a hangout period piece that, but it's also kind of like what I'd call a bromantic comedy. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You should totally. You should, uh, you know, like. <laughs> you should patent that as well as trying to say <laughs> so you get like paid every time says, somebody says romantic that's gonna be my uh, what is it mystery pixie manic dream girl yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but i i was struck by the the friendships in this movie and just by the atmosphere 
uh, right from the first frame you see the Manson family followers, there's this kind of sense of dread. Mm -hmm. um, if you know the history and the way he holds on it and frames things, there's like it's drawn out like you're like, what's going to happen? Yeah, I'm going to stop you for one second. Just so anybody's listening, we're going to go into heavy, heavy spoiler territory on this movie. So if you haven't seen it, I, you should probably stop listening mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. if you just if you care about spoilers. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, no, that's fine. I think what this movie does really well is it plays with your expectations and it play. Yeah. There's like a tension that kind of just runs through it. It feels like the end of an era. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was shot on film is not lost on a lot of people. Yeah. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I, I, you know, I think that the time that it was, it takes place in too, I mean, not only in the fact that it's framed by the, the Manson murders, but the time, 1969 in Hollywood, I mean, it, it's kind of relevant, it's almost like relevant to today, like kind of paralleling, yeah. mm -hmm. like at that point, like best picture that year is Midnight Cowboy. Uh, in 1967, Bonnie and Clyde came out, and Graduate came out, and those movies like really, really changed what people expected out of movies at that Absolutely. point. They were very different than what had come out previously. And I think we're kind of going through something like that right now, where when Tarantino started out with Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction in the 90s, cinema, the Hollywood movie industry was like so different than it mm -hmm. is now. And the types of movies that get made, the types of movies that people want to go see, so different. Yeah. And it's it's it was cool to kind of see that parallel. And I also enjoy the fact that we have Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, who are two kind of like aging like sex symbols, mm -hmm. who mm -hmm. are also kind of like going through this you know era of kind of a switch from. In their careers, I mean, they have, I think both of them kind of have been for the probably the past decade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But even more yeah. so now they're getting older. And even, you know, there's this, I love the scene where he's with the little girl. Yeah. And yeah. He's yeah. Right. And he's telling her about the book and he breaks down, you know, and it's like, mm -hmm. I yeah. could see like, you know, maybe like Leo feels that way, you know, himself, like, because mm -hmm. he's not the cute kid anymore, you know. I can even extend that further. I think it's Tarantino feeling that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. I, I mean, he's went from the underdog and the countercultural indie guy to be an institution. Like people mm -hmm. say a Tarantino film, you know exactly what that is. Mm -hmm. yeah. And now he's brushing up against him. Being becoming irrelevant, maybe. Yeah, he's, right. he's mm -hmm. like yeah. the Rick Dalton character. Yeah, of course. There's yeah. a reason they picked him to be a Western actor. Yeah. Because you're looking at that era and the actors who were popular in 69. Mm -hmm. It was like the kind of shaggy, long haired, like guys, you know, like, uh, I can't remember the names, but like Dennis Hopper. Like yeah. Dennis right. Hopper, Peter uh -huh. Fonda. Yeah. Like that kind of era of actor. And the folks like Cliff. Booth and Rick Dalton are kind of left out. They're just doing bit parts on TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it balanced those themes very well with like the change in Hollywood and the end of an era and the midlife crisis arc, especially. Mm -hmm. That was definitely the best part of the movie. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, and I liked, like you said about it being a hangout film, Liam. It's, yeah, like that. I really liked that vibe to it. It reminded me a lot of a Robert Altman movie, mm -hmm. yeah. like Nashville or one mm -hmm. of those, where mm -hmm. it's just like a bunch of just like little slices of life drifting around each other. It yeah. was. It was. It was almost like episodic, and I could see it yeah. being kind of like split into little vignettes and mm -hmm. yeah. like that. And I, I think, I think the 
fact that it really didn't have much of a plot and that it was so long that helped helped it like not be Mm -hmm. as boring for me yeah i i really liked yeah like the first two hours especially Mm -hmm. i really liked that stuff i thought it did that very well I did not like the movie as much as the three of you, I think, yeah. just because... Which is good, because now we yeah. have a good, There are things about combo. it that kind of fell apart for me, and I felt like it wound up having some wasted potential, yeah. and we'll get to that stuff, but that was, like, the first two acts, especially, mm. it really nailed the, like, old-school Hollywood, like, it felt like a 70s Altman film yeah and i, I like what that he did, made yeah. a more of a i like that he made more of a period piece instead of like usually he uh takes a genre like say black exploitation like with django unchained or uh spaghetti western or uh hong kong or a uh, war picture even. war picture he kind of takes a, a a genre and tries to emulate the the tropes of the genre yeah and make the and make a film that's mm-hmm. like it came out back then but it, it's modern mm-hmm. but in this film he actually uh played it straight pretty as far pretty much except for the end because he's quentin tarantino but yeah. for the first two, uh two acts he played it pretty straight and then having it as a period piece and then he played around with the stuff with the little fake movie clips with yeah uh, Rick Dalton's character, so like he that still got to really do cool. that. I yeah. love that, but that he didn't was... interrupt like the narrative with mm-hmm. it. Like mm-hmm. he kind of like just had like these little areas he could just have fun with because yeah. he likes doing that kind of thing. Yeah, he played a lot with structure. And the other thing I really that kind of popped out to me on the second time I saw it is that all the Manson uh, family folks are played by like second generation Hollywood act- yeah. children. Mm-hmm. So you have like Harley oh. Quinn Smith is in there. Um, I thought Quayley, I saw her. Yeah, Margaret Quayley, who's Andy McDowell's kid. Uh, she's the one that Brad Pitt talks to. I think her name's like Flower Child. Yeah. Yeah, and then uh, oh, Maya Hawk. Pussycat. No, that's yeah. Margaret Quayley's Pussycat. Oh. And uh, and Maya <laughs> Hawk, who is a really fun moment at the end. Yeah. And um, there's and Dakota Fanning. Dakota Fanning. Who's, I didn't even realize oh, that was her. Wow. I she, know she was in it. Who was she? She was uh, Squeaky, Squeaky from. <gasps> yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like an interesting kind of meta thing going on mm-hmm. where the hippies are actually played by a new generation of actors coming up. And they're mm-hmm. also like the new generation in the film as well of yeah. of, of uh, society. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. And it seemed, well, they were like, it was pretty anti-hippie movie. Yeah. Really. Yeah. I was talking with somebody. I don't know if it was you or somebody. I was talking about maybe, oh, it was Don. Uh, I think some of the issue that people have with the movies is that they're conflating hippie with leftism. So they feel yeah. like the movie is anti-leftism or anti-liberal when it's actually... Yeah. I, I don't want to say that hippies and liberals are the same thing. I, I, I feel like they're not. They overlap in some things. I feel like just like progressive cultural, like countercultural. Yeah. But yeah. I feel like yeah. they don't just... You can't just like one for one swap them out as like an allegory no, and I, I guess I don't or a metaphor. I think it's yeah. even really fair to say that the movie's anti-hippie like the characters who the talk characters are. who talk about right, yeah. hippies being terrible are like the characters having the midlife crisis who yeah. are afraid of the change yeah. in culture you know like they're afraid of the counterculture like Rick Dalton is like John Wayne who yeah. was yeah. at that point just sort of like a cultural joke who made a wildly out of touch right-wing vietnam movie that everybody hated and like Mm. just like oh you're you're the past you're (laughs) a dinosaur right so it's natural that he would have that fear and then like the the manson family or hardly and like it's yeah they're not they're they're they're, they're their own they're their own 
problem altogether. Mm. I've of just course. seen that, yeah. like, but they like were floating around. They yeah. were right, though, to be scared of the hippies because those For were the sure. ones yeah. who were bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, I guess it's just like, I don't know, like, it's just, I feel like it does, like I said, it just doesn't one to one transfer. But I, I, no. I've seen some people kind of being like, it's anti hippie. And I'm like, well, because I guess they don't show good hippies, but I, yeah. like Sharon Tate and them aren't they kind of hippies? Yeah, I would. I would yeah, I guess they're so. Kinda they're like hippie. rich or whatever. They're yeah. kind of cool. They're hip. It's yeah, uh, but you know, to take these characters the at their the own words yeah. is, yeah. is like, you know, like you can't really trust the words that some of them are saying. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's not. Depiction like, is an endorsement. Yeah. Exactly. Right. That's a thing that you have to say mm-hmm. a lot now. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess I get that some people feel like because Rick Dalton and uh, Cliff are so charismatic that you mm-hmm. and they're also pretty much the protagonists of the film mm-hmm. that you're kind of like almost roped into rooting for them because you're just following their journey. Right. And you, yeah. you don't want to see people fail. And uh, that was actually another thing that was coming up a lot is people were uncomfortable with the ambiguity, the moral ambiguity of Cliff's character because yeah. they play off him possibly murdering his wife as a joke yeah which it's a dark humor i there's thought it was even, kind of funny i'm not gonna lie a darker part to that that like the actress who's playing that was like accused of manslaughter oh really yeah are you serious wow yeah i think rebecca gayhart was that was the character the Uh-oh. actress who plays it huh. wow yeah what happened i she like i can't remember for the life of me what happened yeah. but it had to have popped up into quentin tarantino's mind yeah, yeah he that notices happened. little things well, like that yeah i, I don't that's that bothered me for a different reason and it was i mean i'm sure i'll talk more about this but just like that he's that movie yeah sure uh okay Mm -hmm. um yeah that this movie my big frustration with it in the last act is that it spends two hours setting up all these character arcs and all these themes and all these things that it like starts saying and then just drops them all and ends up really like just caring about like doing this other stuff all together and it's like, that didn't feel like a throwaway joke that felt like it was setting up a theme or like it was setting mm. up what he was going to say about like sort of the way that we mythologize this era of like classic Hollywood, yeah. but it still had all this awful stuff that we don't talk about mm-hmm. and the parallel mm. with what's going on today, like you were saying, mm-hmm. Mara, uh, with like all that's been coming out about the dark side of Hollywood and like mm-hmm. all yeah. this like people who we glamorize but they do awful stuff that we willfully ignore and it felt like it was going to say something about that and that the circumstances are literally it's a robert wagner natalie wood situation yeah. mm-hmm. that like we know now that like a witness came forward and said oh yeah robert wagner let her die and mm-hmm. but like everybody yeah. just ignored that for decades because right. yeah. he was a charming dude yeah so it's like it seems like it's gonna say all these really interesting th- things it's like okay there's like worlds of themes that you could turn this into mm-hmm. but then nope it's just a throwaway joke and then like you know the likable woman murderer is just gonna murder the hell out of some women at the end in a mm-hmm. really like spectacularly violent way yeah which again i don't think that what he does at the ending, it I don't think it means that Tarantino is a misogynist. I don't think that it's inherently he sexist. A man too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I think it's weird in the sense of 
just like leaving these themes hanging yeah. and not doing anything with them mm-hmm. after for two hours being like, this is going to be about something. I have something to say here. And they're like, ah, JK guys, I don't actually have anything to say. It just seemed like a really wasted opportunity. And I, like, I felt it, like it was, yeah. I read it more as they were setting Cliff up to um, make the violence at the end more believable. Because mm-hmm. I, I yeah, feel like they, they kind of set him up to be this laid back guy that has a dark streak right inside yeah. him. Like if you fuck with him in the right kind of way, he will kill you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah like, like well, with with the Bruce Lee thing, that definitely set that up well. Yeah. They set that up in other ways, but like there's a difference between like I don't know how you would set up an antihero right. and how you would set up a villain and like shooting your wife to death in cold yeah. blood. And trying to like cover up the crime, but we don't know that definite. he did though. They but keep it's it based on something that like was a yeah. real thing that we now know the guy actually did it yeah, after I mean, years of ambiguity. But, but those things, those things, like the well, trigger. Nothing's of the, black yeah. and white. I mean, well, sometimes people are things. do villainous things, well, yeah, and then they do good black things and, too. Nothing's black and white. Yeah, all those things are fine, mm-hmm. but it's. It just strikes me as lazy screenwriting to not work with that, not mm. work with the fact that nothing's black and white. Just like, oh, I'm just going to throw this out here in just a real yeah. half-assed way. I and I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it was a throwaway joke or yeah. let, let like a hang a, a hanger on or whatever. I think it was a, uh, a good device to show the type of person that either he is or that people think he is. Yeah, I thought it was for what he was. I think it would have been a good device if the writing had ever come back around to it and if they had done anything else with it thematically. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Do you think Cliff is a bad person or a good person? I think he's a morally ambiguous person. I think that's fine. Um, Like, this just, it made me think so much of American Horror Story, which has such a knack for like, oh, setting up great, great themes for like 14 hours and then bungling them all at the end (laughs) and having none of those themes coalesce in a way that is remotely worthwhile. And like with the first season, how like Tate was, he was a great character because he was morally ambiguous and was all like shades of gray and it was really, really interesting. And then at the last minute, they just like, nope, we're not going to do anything of note with this. Yeah. It just, it made me think of that. Like, I like what you're saying, Mara, mm-hmm. about, like, making him, like, a moral gray area character where, mm-hmm. like, if they'd done more with that, like, show a little bit more about, like, yeah, there's ways in which he's a bad guy, but he's charismatic mm-hmm. and you're supposed to feel conflicted about how you feel about him. I just felt like it was a half-baked theme that he yeah. could have done I think done they could have leaned with. into, if, if they were trying to make him more ambiguous, I guess, leaned into more of his violent side. I mean, they showcase yeah. it, but... But, he, but every time he's violent, he's kind of like... It makes yeah. sense. It yeah. makes sense for him to be violent. Like, he's, they slash his tires and they're not going to let yeah. him go, you know? Like, yeah. maybe he couldn't beat the crap out of him. But obviously, those people didn't have his best interests in mind. Yeah. yeah. You know, like... Yeah, like, that was justified. Like, yeah. every other moment when he's violent, he's still likable. Yeah. Except mm. for that one moment. It's like a different kind of violence. Yeah. yeah. And, like, that's fine to have his yeah. character be that. But, yeah. like, just work with it. Do something else yeah. with it. It just... I don't know, for a movie that's almost three hours long, it was weird to me that something that mm-hmm. important felt half-explored. I think Quentin Tarantino's violence often is gratuitous and leans more towards mean-spirited in, in, in general. Not all the time, but I feel like that's a thing he does quite a bit. And, that, and I feel like the end of this film 
leans more into mean spirited violence. It's it's justified and it's cathartic. It's cath- oh yeah, well yeah. But yeah. they are the Manson family. Like, so. yeah. <laughs> it's just especially the way I, I think the way it's set up is really great though. Like the whole he's like starting to trip on like yeah. the, the LSD and 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 there's just one there's just this one maybe five minute period where you don't know what he's gonna do with it. You're like, is he gonna kill them like the whole movie you're thinking about the murder right yeah. which is yeah. which the whole th- yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and then there's that one moment where you know cliff's standing there and the guy's like i'm the devil and he's pointing the gun and you're like what's quentin tarantino and he's like, gonna no, do it's with way this dumb. and then he cliff says and then no, he throws the can and then you know <laughs> once I, he throws the yeah. can you know what quentin tarantino's gonna do with this oh yeah, yeah yeah i but love, I that, love whole, that little uncertain i love moment. that whole section of and part of this movie what i love is that it kind of demythologizes the manson family Charles Manson is basically irrelevant to the story. Yeah. He has a five-second mm-hmm. scene, and if you don't know who he is, it doesn't matter, but he's, like, part of the, like, atmosphere of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, he has the, I'm the devil, and he's like, no, it was way stupider than that. Yeah. And the Manson family gets treated with the absolute respect they deserve. Right, which right. is zero. Nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was, that was cool. The way that they demythologized a lot of stuff was very effective. Mm. Like, yeah, like, I don't know, it's weird. Like, in principle, I like the idea of the ending. It just felt like after being such a slow burn, it rushed to that yeah. really quickly. And, like, I would have liked another, like, 15, 20 minutes for yeah. maybe, like, the themes to coalesce in a way that yeah. felt meaningful. It's very, it's very much a heel turn moment. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what was funny is I was watching this whole thing, the whole movie, and I'm like, man, this is the most laid back, low key Quentin Tarantino movie I've ever seen. <laughs> right? Like, there's been barely any violence. Just that one part, and then it's like fucking people are on fire and shit, and I was yeah. like, eat, dogs eating balls, and I was like, oh, never mind. Yeah. Here he is. Here's yeah. Quentin Tarantino. We know. Yeah, I mean, well, it, but like the specter of the Manson family murders had like hanging mm. over yeah. all of it. Like we knew it had to, it had to go. Like this movie was not going to end pleasantly, right, no yeah. matter what. Somebody. Yeah. And you know that sure. that gave the movie a lot of suspense for me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, knowing the that the whole sequence at the ranch is like the oh, most God. Yeah. I've been yeah. Oh, and there's like I don't know that there's two ways to feel about all that stuff. Like I've seen a lot of people we know on Facebook, like Michael, yeah. saying a lot of how, like, a movie that does not work without external knowledge about what happened seems sort of, like, weird, because it can't exist on its own. You right. have to, like, know other stuff. But on the other hand, like, that scene at the ranch, yeah. I really, really loved the way that he exploited your knowledge of what these people are eventually going to do mm. to really change the scene. Cause mm-hmm. like there's mm-hmm. nothing in the context of that scene should actually be suspenseful. Well, it I mean, shouldn't feel that it. creepy. Like there's this dread. Uh, yeah. Look, like, it seems we, pretty creepy. There's, I think like, there's, even if you didn't know. Yeah. But like, I don't like you, I don't think that you'd have any reason to think that the old dude in the house was dead or, in, or like for it gets to yeah. the point, but yeah, it's like it was a way. It, like when it builds yeah. and builds yeah. and builds, and then, and then that that it doesn't pay off. That it's like a false it, alarm. And then you're like, oh. it's total. And then you're like, oh wait, yeah, that was only suspenseful because mm-hmm. I know what these people will do. And mm-hmm. like that was a really interesting. You're waiting for that moment. It adds of, a yeah. layer of dread, like a layer yeah. of you know these people are bad. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I thought think, it used that like sort yeah. of yeah the audience's future knowledge in an mm. interesting way. And I think even if you don't know that much about the Manson murders, it's still a tense movie. Yeah. Like, just watching it, there's this, like, atmosphere of 
that we talk about decay in this movie, the Spawn Ranch, is like the decaying memory of Rick Dalton's career. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in that yeah. way. So there's this like kind of like passing of an era, changing of hands, and there's this dread because Cliff and, and uh, Rick are terrified. You know, everybody's kind of on edge. We're like 1969, we're like in the heat of the Vietnam War. So there is this kind of like paranoia and fear running throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So what do yeah. you guys think of the Bruce Lee scene? I took it as a bit of fantasy. It was like Cliff hyping himself up. Yeah. It was like, because we see uh, we see Bruce Lee twice in the movie. We see him in the scene where he fights Cliff, and then we see him again where he's uh, training Sharon Tate, and he's way nicer and way more yeah. pleasant. So I, I took it as it was just Cliff just having a dick measuring contest yeah yeah I, I took that scene as again like they're trying to show what kind of guy cliff is and he's the type of guy who is gonna challenge bruce lee and i don't think that he beat the shit out of bruce lee mm-hmm. no it, it was a he tie threw him into a car a and the it's fucking guy fight. got up and was fine he yeah. did not kick anyone's ass that yeah. was like it was yeah. just cliff being a yeah. dick deliberately yeah. and bruce lee theoretically could have beat his ass had the fight gone on longer yeah. but it got interrupted yeah. Yeah. i well i read an interview with the actor who played him mike mo and he said he was like i he's like i and you know internalized this and thought like you know, very, you know, intently about playing this and thinking, like, am I going to make Bruce Lee look bad? And he was like, I know in my heart that if that if that fight had not gotten broken up, he would have killed that guy. And I think Quentin knows that, too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, totally. It felt very totally. affectionate. It felt like, you know, an affectionate, but definitely tongue-in-cheek and over-the-top homage to an yeah. artist he really likes. Like, that's, I definitely took it as, like, well, how do you show that your character is like really badass and can like do all this stuff yeah. in a fight. Yeah. You have him like at least tie one of the most famously good fighters in Hollywood. And I, I think that whole thing is really the controversy over that scene is really overblown. Cause like yeah. by all well, accounts, his daughter was, was upset, right? His daughter was upset, but it's, I don't but by I think, all I accounts, Bruce Lee kind of her, I'll sorry, her, opinion should be is valid of course but i think you know she has an entirely different perception of bruce lee that's her dad Mm -hmm. like you would be very sensitive to any portrayal of your dad especially if he's deceased right so i feel like where she's coming from 100 percent makes sense to Mm -hmm. me like Mm -hmm. like how she feels yeah absolutely but on the other hand you know by most accounts bruce lee would kind of showboat and he would be very didactic and wax philosophical and like well we see that in interviews Mm -hmm. with him like that like you know like be the water interview like he can be very didactic and like i don't know i didn't think he seemed like a dick he just seemed like you know he's just like holding forth like teaching the philosophy of fighting which by all accounts is something that he did it was just a scene of dudes being dudes yeah 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 and like i don't know showing that he's like kind of arrogant or whatnot on a movie set when he's you know a rising movie so i don't think that's yeah. terrible or anything it's just a funny little bit of like lampshading yeah, yeah. i do i do get what his daughter oh, is saying course. but yeah. i yeah yeah i can see her problem with it for sure but i certainly do not i would not call that scene racist and they, yeah. and they show you know yeah. they show bruce lee training sharon tate later as like a counterpoint to like he's not always this 
this this he's not always the actor Bruce Lee. Sometimes yeah, he's, he's just he's he's the he's the martial artist Bruce Lee and, and he's helping her with her moves like you know with mm-hmm. with the philosophy with his philosophy that that he put forth his entire life like mm-hmm. like he he was he was all about counterculture too like he was all about I don't want to be roped into one fighting style I want to use all the best bits from every fighting style mm-hmm, and yeah. make my own like that's how he was and I feel like like he a like you said he would be waxing you know, philosophical about stuff because that's what he did all the time. And B, he would be a little cocky, some, you know, white stuntman cut up in his grill. Mm-hmm. Like, he'd be mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, bring it on, fucking Bruce Lee, you know? Like, I don't know. I just feel like people kind of latched onto that. And that was another thing I saw people getting mad about that I hadn't even seen the movie. I'm like, dude, you guys don't even see it in context anyway. And yeah. 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 And I've never seen you say anything about Bruce Lee any other time ever. And all of a sudden now you care about, like, how he's portrayed. <laughs> Like, just, I don't know. Yeah. Well, well another, um, a little bit of trivia about that scene, too. I just read that Burt Reynolds wrote the line where he says to, uh, where Bruce Lee says the cliff, you're pr- pr- pretty for a stuntman. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I guess he was supposed to play, uh, he was supposed to play, play Spawn. And then he died. Yeah. But he read the script and he saw that, or I guess Quentin told him, yeah. you know, Brad mm-hmm. Pitt's playing the stuntman. And he's like, you got to have him tell someone tell him. He's yeah. too pretty to be a stuntman. I'm, I must say, Brad Pitt was looking pretty delicious. He, he did look good. good. Mm-hmm. He took his shirt off too. Yeah, I was like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he was. A- he's aging into Robert Redford. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Good. he is. Well, he <laughs> it's was, amazing. didn't he play the young version of him in? Uh, oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, what movie? River runs through it. No, was it that one? Oh, I don't know. I don't That's know okay. either. Yeah. I kind of know what you're talking about, but it's yeah, not it's not a movie I've seen. So. This is it's like forever ago. Yeah. I'm gonna have to yeah. look that up. But Leo looks good too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean he, I mean I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating crackers, yeah. as they say. I yeah. uh you know, I, I didn't I didn't crush on him back in the day when he was the heartthrob. Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. get it, but I think he's definitely like aging yeah. very well. Like the older he gets, the cuter yeah. he is to yeah. me. I think it's also because we're getting older. I don't know. Like, I'm starting to like older men. And I'm like, ooh, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> like, all these, like, who's that hot old, old guy? Daddy guys with, like, gray hair and temples. I'm like, mmm. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Thirst. Thirst part, o- thirst part of the podcast is over. Thirsty. <laughs> thirsty Tuesday. Thirsty Tuesdays. Um, so, okay. What do you guys think about how Sharon Tate was portrayed? So I have an analogy that I don't know. Like, are you guys, you guys know Twin Peaks? Yes. Yes. So I think Sharon Tate to Tarantino is Laura Palmer to David Lynch. Oh. I think there's that level of affection. And part of what I really enjoyed about this movie is that um, we have all the segments we see of Sharon Tate are kind of brightly lit, Mm -hmm. like kind of angelic. There's Mm -hmm. like a hue of really bright light. Um, and when she's in the movie theater, we see the actual Sharon Tate. Yes. Because most yeah. people's assumption of Sharon Tate is not, oh, she was in the Wrecking Crew. It's yeah. she was this pregnant lady who got murdered and they wrote pig on the wall in her blood. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see her as like an actual human being. Yes. Yes. Um, and that was something that I, I really appreciated about the movie. Yeah. I really liked that also. And I thought, you know, with her not having dialogue for a while... I thought the film did an interesting sort of 180 with her. Where like the first bunch of the movie, we see her as like the myth of Sharon Tate, mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. like very shaped by like our future knowledge, and also 
we see her sort of through Rick's eyes where, you know, he sees her as everything like that glances. he's not. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. he sees in her, like, okay, she has potential and star power and she's going to go on and have this great career. And so we see her as this sort of, like, idealized vision of the movie star. Mm-hmm. And then, like, she sort of gets demythologized where like you know all the scenes with her are like really over the top like there's a lot of music like he's very brightly lit very stylized and then yeah like the movie theater scene it sort of just like very quickly brings her down to reality where it's like no she still has insecurities and people don't recognize her and you know she has to talk her way into this movie theater they don't believe that she's really like she still has she's still human she still has these same Mm -hmm. issues and probably, you know, she looks at Rick and sort of has the same thought process, same like, oh, like that's this movie star. Like yeah. I'm like they both sort of have different imposter syndrome yeah. that the other one sets off. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, and maybe, you know, Quentin Tarantino thinks this too, the the two converge and seem like they're gonna be working together, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like it's like optimistic. Like he's yeah. not it's not a downer ending where he's saying there was a decline and then uh the new people that came up weren't as good. He's mm. saying no uh, you know, they could have went hand in hand. They went hand yeah. in hand. Like it's okay. It's okay to mourn the end of an era, but it's also okay to be optimistic for the beginning of a new era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they mm-hmm. kind of like the two side, the two uh, narratives converge into the end and then become one. Well, I thought that was also reinforced with the scene with Leo and the uh, the little girl. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. she was like encouraging, like it's gonna be okay. He tells the story of the cowboy who falls off the horse, right? And he's reading that book. And throughout that whole movie, Cliff and him are the cowboy who fell off the horse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And then they save the day. They stop a horrible murder. And mm-hmm. then, like, at the end, they're kind of accepted into this new Hollywood world. And, and like, the we see the, you know, pulling away and they're talking and it's yeah. joyful. And there's this music that's kind of haunting. Yeah. It's beautiful, but it, there's like an ear, like a, when you hear it, it's like, oh, you know, it's a happy ending, but it's, it's bittersweet, bittersweet for us because mm-hmm. we know. That never happened. Yeah. And I kind of, I also really like the idea of Cliff Booth being a stuntman, not only in movies, but in real life. He took mm-hmm. a hit for Sharon Tate. Yeah. Like he actually, like, that's his job is he like, he yeah. takes the abuse instead of the star. So he took the abuse oh, that yeah. Sharon Tate was going to get. And like, he was the ultimate stuntman, I guess. I like that little, I don't know if that was on purpose, but. That was 100%. Because oh, yeah. he talks about, I took a note of this on one of my things. <laughs> Or it was like Easy Breezy is the most kind of badass cowboy. That's yeah. the character he was talking about. And Cliff Booth is Easy Breezy. Mm-hmm. He takes it in the side to protect everybody else. Yeah. Like yeah. even the same, like he's like his knee got busted. And yeah, that's right where he gets stabbed. Oh, like a little Jesus wow. thing, right? He got stabbed in the side too. That's right. Oh, you know, I, I want to Jesus. say one, one more thing too about the like, did he or didn't he murder his wife? Mm-hmm. I think that... Quentin Tarantino kind of gave us a little bit of a gift in that because we can just talk about that till the end of time. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's like, the, it's like this movie's briefcase from Pulp Fiction. Yeah, yeah, and it's like you know there is there are these weird Hollywood you know things where it's like the Robert Ragnar thing where it's like we know this happened and it's horrible and it was kind of hidden for all these years but then there's all these like really overblown weird rumors that just kind of get overblown about people and people become larger than life and legends and you know there's that too yeah 
So it could go either way, I think. Well, I mean, we talk about legends. This movie is like pretty much inspired by uh, like Burt Reynolds and his stuntman. Like even to the point where if the episode of FBI that Cliff is on, if you go look up that episode and that character, it's Burt Reynolds playing. Him. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, someone posted that the other day, and that just kind of blew my mind. And wow. there's also this video where uh, it's DiCaprio and Tarantino talking, although it's mostly Tarantino talking. Well, it's and, it, <laughs> it's, uh, and it's notes about a scene, and it's they're talking about how he was inspired by like specific actors. There was this guy, Pete Duell, who was this Western cowboy guy who suffered from mental illness and had the same kind of episodes that Rick Dalton has. Hmm. And so that added another layer to me. Like I didn't know that Rick Dalton was supposed to be bipolar. And he flat mm. out, he said that in the interview, they don't say it in the movie. Yeah. That, it, it makes a, a lot little, of sense though. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like that show, not tell. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But, if none of us picked up on that, did they really show it though? Oh, like I don't yes, know. That's, they did. I, I mean, I felt like you had I a did. little bit of there something was a depressive going on. Episode. You don't. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. I kind of think that I definitely didn't um, think bipolar, movies though. that yeah. just kind of tell you what you're supposed to think. I'm really bored by that. Well, so I yeah, no, I, mean, I like, to, like to think about like the way someone's behaving and kind of like I don't need to know he's bipolar. Mm. It's like it's like I'm getting to know an actual person and I'm seeing the way they're behaving and. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not going to, you know, talk to someone and get to know them and go, well, you're bipolar because you're acting yeah. all these ways. I'm just going to be like, oh, wow, he's really emotional. I yeah. thought he was just you know? depressed and alcoholic. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes, yeah yes. exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that's stuff I picked up. But it's like, like a depressive but, episode. But to Leo, yeah. to Leo, as an actor, he needs to know that that guy's bipolar. So he For can sure. play this And person. that was kind of... There's like when I heard that, that, I was like, okay, that kind of makes yeah. sense okay. with the like the way he carries himself, and you know the the whole scene in the yeah. trailer, his whole meltdown where he's like, you and know, that was before really you sours. could yeah. get good diagnose, you know, mm-hmm. be diagnosed yeah. for yeah. things yeah. in a, in a yeah. way to help you. Mm-hmm. Like back then, you just drank or yeah. whatever, yeah. self medicated, <laughs> right. you know. Mm-hmm. But I really, I really enjoyed also the contrast between the different styles of acting that were going on because. You know, Rick was, he was from the era where, like, the actor didn't really disappear into the role, mm-hmm. right? Like, if John Wayne played a, John Wayne played a character, he was always John Wayne. Yeah. And yeah. then just that character's name. And it was always like, John Wayne as this little type, like, this guy in the movie. Yeah. yeah. Dalton like, is Jake Cahill yeah. and Bounty Law. Like, they were always yeah. playing themselves in the movie, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They were always playing their real persona. And then like the little girls method acting yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and there and there was this transition between that kind of like stagey kind of like 50s and 60s acting over to like the counterculture which was mm. more realistic uh new wave type of stuff you know mm-hmm. and i just really liked you know that interplay between him and the little girl and she's yeah. like saying all this method acting stuff and it's like blowing his fucking dome <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she's so like well spoken and so yeah. charismatic. That little girl, I was like, what? She was so sassy. I was like, she was she was one of my. She held her own movie. with like one of the biggest movie stars, and she like totally owned the scene, I which know. is like an interesting because yeah. like that's what she's doing in the movie and mm-hmm. outside the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, like, two layers of that like going on. I don't know. I just was like super into it. I was like, man, that's such a, yeah. a little. Yeah a little layer of a thing you know like just Mm -hmm. different styles of acting and how they're clashing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i also really enjoyed them talking briefly about you know rick doing italian movies and i love that they (laughs) slipped in a little thing about and this is a true thing is like when they filmed italian films they would just all speak in their own language Mm -hmm. and then like they would just dub them over like they wouldn't record sound Mm -hmm. and like that's such a Mm -hmm. little like nerd 
piece of info. That's a totally yeah. a moment. Yeah. But yeah. I was like, they did do that in Italian movies. Like, yeah. you know, like they just overdubbed everybody. And I just thought it was a cute little, little, you know. Yeah. I just like the way he said Italian. Italian. Yeah, Italian. Italian. I'm going to be in an Italian movie. I don't know if anyone picked up that that two different characters say two different disparaging things about two different redheaded women in the movie. Oh, I didn't pick that up. Yeah, I, no oh, one talked you. about that, but I noticed that. <laughs> and I went, did a, I, did a redhead hurt you, Quentin? What happened? Can we just talk she about... Wouldn't a, she wouldn't show her big feet. Just, yeah. She wouldn't show her feet, don't. <laughs> Damn redheads covering her feet up. Dude, this, the, the feet were out <laughs> like, of fucking control in this movie. I didn't think they were that bad. There was a there lot. Was two feet. No, there was feet on the... Like, he would have shots framed with right fucking feet. That. Like, like... On the yeah. sides, like, like you know how you go, like, yeah. like a guy goes Extreme like this. Extreme close up, like of a with a camp, like you know, like oh, I gotta get the frame to shot. It's like this, but their feet. Go into the ranch when he goes into the when they first show inside the cabin at the ranch. Oh yeah, when they yeah. go, to, there's like yeah. so many feet. <laughs> I didn't notice. And he's got girls pressing. I was like, f- where's all the feet everyone's oh, talking about? It was about. really I, obvious. There were yeah. so much feet. I, you know what? I think that about all Quentin Tarantino movies. Someone said he's got a foot fetish, and I was like, oh yeah, what? Yeah. It was like around death proof time. I was like, what are they talking about? And I was like, no, he totally does. This, okay. This movie I guess was there's real feet in this movie. I, I, I mean, there's I that don't girl, uh, Pussycat. She had her feet all up on the I, windshield. Yeah. See, like, I noticed that and yeah. I noticed Sharon Tate with her feet up. Mm. But, like, because someone said it, if, if some, <laughs> no one said anything yeah. about Tarantino and feet, I never would have noticed. Yeah. When I notice whenever a this, lot of footwear. I just, in this I just movie. want that poster. Someone posted. It's just the feet. I thought uh-huh. that was amazing. When this comes out on Blu-ray, uh, my boyfriend hasn't seen it yet, and he's not like super into watch movies in the theater. Like, I'm gonna make him watch it, and we're gonna have a drinking game, and I'm gonna take shots every time there's feet. I you will see be. You might die. Alcohol poisoning. I might die. I I don't know. Maybe I like feet just as much as Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> so I. <laughs> subconsciously stirring something in you. Let's yeah, some, I'm like, I don't know, I really like this movie. Commenters, what do you think about feet? <laughs> Email us at moviesleuth.com about your comments about feet. <laughs> Just at Chris. Man, we should have did this podcast You, can, you can send me pictures of your feet if you want. I don't care. <laughs> Please, <laughs> slide in my in DMs. In or out of socks. If you want, you can at send shoes. her my pictures of the feet you're going to send me too, so. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so... Anybody else have anything they want to talk about with the film? Yeah, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that I had. I don't know. I mean, mainly just I'm interested to hear to see uh, now that it is rumored that there's going to be an extended cut as a miniseries on Netflix. Yes. Because it was my thing with this movie was it was a fantastic first two acts and then a third act that felt oddly half-assed for most of it to me Mm. like it felt like a lot of themes that just kind of crumbled like even his midlife crisis arc that like leo's arc is so good in the first two acts Mm -hmm. and like his struggle with like depression and alcoholism and relevance and this like midlife crisis trying to figure his stuff out and then it just sort of drops off a lot like what what you guys said about uh him kind of like you know meeting up with Sharon Tate and this like, oh, it was like old school, new school Hollywood meeting. It's like, okay, I can, I can kind of see that, but there's a lot felt underbaked to me about the last Mm -hmm. act. Cause it was weird. Like I went into it with very little preconceived notions. Cause I'm very hot and cold with Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love his first four. And then after that, like, 
don't know. This is a pretty self-indulgent even for Tarantino. This yeah, time, but like, I, would say. I... Not in a way that bothered me for most of it. Like, mm-hmm. if the whole movie had just been this, like, laid-back, like, <clears throat> kind of long-winded slice of life, I would have been totally fine with that. Like, two hours mm-hmm. in, after, like, there's that trifecta... The movie's three best scenes all happen at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh... Rick on the movie set, learning method acting from the little girl, and then giving his amazing performance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Cliff and the Hitchhiker, and the Spawn Ranch, and Sharon Tate in the movie theater. And after that, I was like, damn, this movie is amazing. I am in love with this movie. And then very few movies of like, oh, I, I'm gonna love this movie. And then the last act just makes me, like, real disappointed. <laughs> Yeah, and this was if, one of those. And it's like, how not much longer I, is it going to be on Netflix? They I said it's f- a four-hour cut, apparently. So maybe, maybe they'll oh add God. some stuff in that might flesh um, that, that part out. Well, there's stuff. Yeah. There's stuff. There's like things with Burt Reynolds. Uh, someone's playing Burt Reynolds. I think it's. Oh, wow. And then there's a whole thing. Tim Roth was supposed yeah, to be J.C. Brings Butler. He was in the credits. Said Tim Roth cut, and I was like, okay, now yeah. I, they need to. I would have sat in yeah. this theater for another well, twenty the, minutes. I recall for that a poster scene. that had his face on it. That was oh, yeah. when the movie first got announced. Like yeah. they had all the little circles of their faces, and Tim Roth was on yeah. there. Yeah, so it was probably a relatively like late cut in the edit mm-hmm. before con or something yeah. like that. Well, he almost mm-hmm. didn't mm-hmm. show it at the festival, right? Because he said it wasn't done. It wasn't yeah. done yet, yeah. So, I don't like, there's nothing about the last... It's not... Nothing in principle about the last act bothers me. Like, I, I get what mm-hmm. he was trying to do, I think, and I like the idea of it. Mm-hmm. I just think that he just sort of bungled the execution on the last act, which I found doubly disappointing because I thought the first two acts were, like, mm-hmm. really good. Like, it almost bothered me in a way that, like... Like, I kind of hate death proof i really don't like that movie but Mm. like this one almost bothered me more because it was like fantastic until it kind of let down its potential yeah the last the the ending the well i don't even want to say the ending but the last act is it could it almost feels like it's from another movie it's very stylized yeah and like it turns kind of true crime yeah Yeah, it feels mm -hmm. a little too modern in the execution yeah. When compared to the rest of the film, I, I don't think, think it's bad. I just think it, it's such, a, it's such a tone change mm-hmm. and style change. Yeah, and it's out of nowhere. Like it's just, I yeah. feel like if, if you were feeling this one way about the movie in the beginning, because the the first two acts of the movie are one hundred percent different than the last act. Yeah. I understand mm-hmm. that completely. Yeah, it just depends on like. Like you said, how much does it retroactively affect like the way you feel about the first part yeah. of the film? Yeah, it would have been fine if it hadn't felt like all the movie's themes and character arcs just like hard dropped yeah. and just like stopped happening. Yeah, and it felt like there was no additional character growth after the time jump. And I don't know. It felt weirdly to me like There's he wrote him like there was stuff cut, or like he wrote himself into a corner. And it was like, I don't really know where to take this from here. Okay, I'm just going to write something completely different and jam them together. And, like, that all of a sudden everything is real heavily VO'd when there's one line of VO in the first two hours of the movie. Yeah, That did seem weird and out of place to me. Yeah. Yeah, it felt really weird. And, like, that was where it felt like, like, okay, he's, like, 
cobbing something together here yeah. in the script. Like maybe, this is maybe the voiceover is like covering up cuts or something like the information sure. yeah. that he would have conveyed. Sure. Yeah. Like because I felt weird too. Because then I remember I saw Chris and I was like, "Who's the narrator?" And he was like, uh, "It's Randy." It's yeah, the stunt guy. Kurt yeah. Russell. Yeah. But it, I just didn't. I don't know why it would be him. Yeah. I guess I yeah. just was confused as to like why is he narrating yeah. it. Yeah, I don't. I I would be. I'm gonna be really interested to see the director's cut because yeah. this is a movie that I feel like none of my problems with it couldn't be solved by more scenes being there that address the problems I have with mm. the writing. Yeah, and I don't know. It's I can't say I've seen many movies that are very long but still feel too short for what they're supposed to be. Yeah. But this was loved, one of them. Yeah. yeah. I would have loved to hang out yeah. in the world of this movie yeah. for, oh God. for yeah. however long. Yeah, I'm yeah. super into a longer cut. And is, uh, is he like have some kind of deal with Netflix or something? Because well, he, he did that did for, with uh, yeah, Hateful Eight. Eight. Yeah. yeah, and the Hateful Eight on Netflix is like, that's I think it's the Roadshow version. Because I saw the Roadshow road version, but there's different yeah. stuff in it. Yeah, because yeah, I saw the well, Roadshow version, that. but I didn't watch the Netflix one, so I didn't compare. It's interesting. I want that on Blu-ray. Why is it on stupid Netflix? I don't want it on there. Well, Gotta keep, yell at keep an Gate. eye out for screeners in award season. Oh, yeah. Gotta yell at Lionsgate. Oh, yeah. yeah. Lions, well, again, like I was saying before <laughs> about Dust Devil, Lionsgate is terrible, and I'm so bitter that they own the Miramax library. Lionsgate owns... Uh, Hateful Eight? Well, and almost every Tarantino yes. that's oh. not Inglorious Bastards. That's yeah, I just don't one. understand why they wouldn't release it. Like, why is it's already done? Just I don't get what the holdup is. Well, uh, it's the same there's thing. There's a with lot the of directors the cuts that affair. exist that they won't release. Just put it on disc. It's not hard. They don't care about their archive <laughs> titles. Like they just don't. It's weird. Bullshit. I know. It's yeah. Maybe someday. <laughs> Well, does anybody else have anything to add? I want to see like a whole episode of Bounty Law. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I bet you he cool. filmed one. I bet it, you. I he bet did. you they sure. did too, because yeah. it was just too much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's like how on the Blu-ray of Matinee, the entire Mant movie is on there. Is it really? Spend. That's yep. so cool. Uh, <laughs> so I. I, I bet I bet you're right that he shot that. For sure. I he bet it'll be like, on the Blu-ray. He has like pages and pages of scripts of episodes for that show. I always thought I thought it was kind of funny during that part too. It was like we were watching somebody give DVD commentary because they're because like you know Rick Dalton's like oh that guy was a jerk I didn't like working with him. It's like talking over like (laughs) all the stuff, giving like little extra information. Yeah. Oh, you know who I think was underused too is Al Pacino. Oh yeah, I loved him. I'm so glad you brought him. For as over the top as Tarantino is, he got a restrained performance out of for the first time since like before Heat. We like we saw '80s Al Pacino again. Yeah, the loudest, yeah. the loudest thing about him was his glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> he was wonderful. Yeah. He was. I when he showed up, I was just like giggling and like shaking like the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And Mike was like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "I love Al Pacino." <laughs> uh, I was just so excited. Yeah, just, it was really interesting to me. Like, just I was just thinking about it when I was watching. Like, man, back in the day, you had to like literally have like. 16 millimeters and stuff like to watch movies at home like mm-hmm. you couldn't just oh, yeah. watch a movie at home yep. like you had to like go get the reels and have all that equipment and then like borrow them and bring them back and mm-hmm. just wow that's yeah. a lot of work i'm yeah. glad i don't do that anymore you had to be <laughs> rich to watch a movie yeah, at you had home to be rich yeah yeah <laughs> did you see that somebody i saw somebody posted a picture it was like a screenshot of al pacino in 
once upon a time in Hollywood, he was like miming, shooting a gun, yeah. and he was in the exact same position he was in Scarface. Yeah. Awesome. Like, it was just like a little homage <laughs> yeah. to that. I thought that too. I was like, this is reminding me of something. Yeah. I'm looking forward to him and Grumpy Old Mobsters. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Does anybody else have anything to add? I, I do have one last thing. All right. So, um,. I was watching this movie and this kind of reminded me of Roma and how it's a really personal film for both of those directors. Yeah. Roma is like Alfonso Corian's most personal film. Like yeah. you see little elements of his history. There's even like shots in the movie where you can go, oh, that was in Gravity or that was in Children yeah. of Men. And the same thing mm -hmm. kind of happens in this movie where you feel like you're in Quentin Tarantino's childhood. Mm -hmm. Like you just uh -huh. see all the advertising and uh, he said something like the car that Brad Pitt drives is the same one his stepdad had. Oh, he was wow. six years oh, wow. old driving around. And I just thought that was so, like, it's such an odd thing that he took this movie about the Manson murders and about a failed Western, and yet it feels like failed Western actor, and it feels so personal to him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think we're just getting to a lot of point with a lot of these you know directors where they're getting older and we're getting these like self-reflective pieces and works out of them now like yeah. directors we grew up with you know and now we're starting to see like they kind of make movies about making their movies and about how they're feeling about their life i just i really enjoy that kind of like that that wind down of uh you know i feel like tarantino's gonna have a, a good wind down and end you know yeah. some some yeah. directors i think make movies past their prime and they're just bad yeah. and i feel like he's made you know nine whatever you know think people think of like all nine of them i think he's made nine pretty dang solid movies it's a which solid a lot of, body mm -hmm. of work yeah, yeah like a lot of directors can't say that they, they can't even do one good movie yeah right? so yeah. <laughs> i feel like you know as much as as much controversy as he garners like he's such a part of our cultural conversation and like if you say tarantino it automatically like clicks in somebody's mm -hmm. head a style mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. like so i just liked like you said that's a cool idea i like that it's like a like he's kind of reflecting on his own body of work mm -hmm. as well and, and his life as a director and what he grew up with and and you know realizing that he's coming to the end of his mm -hmm. career as well so it feels like a living memory yeah like you're it's like every like the lights there's the whole sequence at the end towards the end when they're um going to the restaurants and you see all the lights on like you see the lights at the Cinerama Dome. You see the Taco yeah. Bell. You see all that. Yeah, I and really it, it, liked all that stuff. I that did sense great. of place. It so cool. yeah. feels so real. Like, you know, any other filmmaker would be like, oh, let's just, you know, just throw a chroma key on it. Yeah. And just throw something in. But he went and made these things. And the mm -hmm. practicality mm -hmm. and how yeah. lived in it feels is part of why it works so well. Isn't Hasn't he tried to, like, preserve old, like, neon signs and stuff? Isn't yeah. that something he does, like, yeah. as a hobby? Yeah. I, I, I think I read that somewhere. So, like, he's very into iconography and, and preserving, you know, visual reminders of times yeah. past mm -hmm. and keeping them mm -hmm. for future generations. That's cool. Yeah. So did everyone... All right, so I think we're, yeah. we're going to... Oh, one well, more on thing. Time. Did everyone catch the, like, end scene after the credits? Yeah, with the, the apple cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. loved that. That was funny. That was beautiful. It was perfect capper. Mm-hmm. It sure was. Well, all right. Perfect decapper. Yes. So I think we've ran out of our time. I think we've destruct deconstructed this movie down to the to the bone. Mm -hmm. I gotta see it again. Down to yeah. the feet. So I hope uh, you guys send us some feet pictures to our email account. Just send them to Chris. He likes feet. He really likes moccasin feet. pictures, please. <laughs> Chris George at the moviesleeves.com. Chris, yep. Lots of feet. I did notice pictures. there were a lot of close-ups on Brad Pitt's moccasins. Yeah, and they his look abs. Comfy. 
and his abs too yeah there was that one that's true all right so i think we're done see you guys next time good night visit us at www.themoviesleuth.com and find the movie sleuth on facebook youtube twitter and itunes